0: So again, my name is Jason Yates, the pastor here at East 10th Street, Church of Christ, and it's good to be with you. We are in the middle of a series we're calling Our Vision. In our day, there's a lot of talk about having visions, setting a goal, big goals, and then everyone getting behind that vision and accomplishing that mission. And I wanted to set out a series of sermons where we cast for our church A vision I I've cast a vision up to this point that we would be a Psalm 1 church I have a vision that we would be a Psalm 1 people that you would be a Psalm 1 man or Psalm 1 woman or maybe you'd be a Psalm 1 young man or young woman that you'd actually be the kind of person described in Psalm 1 and we've looked at a couple dimensions already about what that would look like we've started by saying that a psalm 1 person is changed from the inside in a world where we always want to change everyone's behavior what we've said is psalm 1 casts a vision that we would be changed in our character and we've said that's from the inside out or from the bottom up and that's where we launched this whole series looking at psalm 1 verse 3 and then a couple weeks ago we considered where we are planted. That is, where do we put roots down? And we said that we want to be the kind of people that are planted by streams of water, and it just so happens that Jesus has water that never runs dry. And so we want to be the kind of people that, is, that are planted by Jesus. So being changed from the inside out, or you could say from the bottom up, and then also a people that, that are planted next to Jesus, abiding with him. So this morning, we take Psalm 1 again, do another pass through the passage, and we consider another dimension. We take our journey one step further in Psalm 1. So let's read again Psalm 1. Here we go. We're going to be right up on the screen here. Psalm 1, we'll start with verse 1. We'll go all the way through verse 6, and then we'll really focus in on a couple verses. So let's look at Psalm 1. Let's look at verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It's those last two verses we want to sit with this morning. It's another dimension of what it means to become a Psalm 1 people, a Psalm 1 man or woman. Here it is, verse 5 and 6 again. Let's take a look. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I think those verses are an important dimension of what it means to be a Psalm 1 people. I would say that what Gandalf does to Frodo, does for Frodo in the Lord of the Rings, is very much, or similar at least, to what those verses do for us. So for those of you that do not know the story of the Lord of the Rings, let me boil it down into 30 seconds. There's a ring, a powerful ring, a ring that will destroy you if you carry it for too long. Well, at one point in the story, there's this person that picks up the ring that over many years, this ring turns into a very dark creature. He gets the name Gollum. Now, we find out in the story that... Bilbo a hobbit comes into contact with Gollum and Bilbo gets the ring and Leaves Gollum alive Now years later after Bilbo has carried that ring for a very long time as well He gives that ring to his relative Frodo And it's going to be Frodo's job to destroy the ring because this ring is so powerful and corrupts those who carry it now Gandalf is a wizard that has had a relationship with many of the characters along the way. And once Frodo gets the ring, he tells, uh, once Frodo gets the ring, Gandalf tells Frodo about the history of the ring. And Frodo hears that Bilbo received the ring from Gollum and let Gollum live. And here's what Frodo says. He says, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. And then Gandalf's famous, famous words here. Pity? It's a pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play in it, for good or evil, before this is over, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. What Gandalf does for Frodo there is raise Frodo's chin and get his eyes out beyond the horizon. He's reminding Frodo to take the long view. For Frodo... In the moment when Bilbo gets the ring from this dark creature, you kill the dark creature. And yet Gandalf tells Frodo, in the long run, with a long view, out beyond the horizon, it might just happen that Gollum will be the key to the whole story. Now, if you don't know the story, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But let's just say that Gandalf's gut is right and that Gollum still has a part to play in the story but you can't see that unless you take the long view. I would say that verse 5 and 6 in Psalm 1 is reminding us to take the long view. There are these things in verse 5 that would tell us that particularly there in verse 5 when the writer speaks of the judgment. That is, that there is a real destiny for the righteous, the wicked, and it will play out in the judgment. You see, for us, we typically are only looking maybe a day, a week, or a month, sometimes maybe a few years in front of us. Very few of us are looking out beyond the horizon, taking the long view. But I would say that if we are to be a Psalm 1 people, we are the kind of people that take the long view. And so we want to really consider those three dimensions. That is, the judgment. We want to consider the destiny of the righteous and the destiny of the wicked. I'm going to call those the destiny of destruction and the destiny of life, for the Lord watches over the path of the righteous. So let's just consider those in order. Let's start with the judgment. So we'll consider this judgment piece, this this moment where everything is brought to account. Now, if you're like many people, like you may actually think this way. You think of the day of judgment as that day that God really demonstrates how mean he is. I just asked somebody here recently, what do you think about when you think about the day of judgment? I think this person described very much like many of us think. You're going to kind of show up in some big white room, God will be sitting there, or it will be someone there, and he'll just be... And of, you're just pointing one direction or the other, heaven or hell. That's kind of what you get. And for many people, they see the day of judgment as a day where God is really mean because he's punishing people, probably unfairly. But the day of judgment is not a day when God demonstrates how mean he is. Let me say it this way. I actually think the day of judgment is simply a day when everything... Is evaluated as it really is. It is a day of truth. It's when everything is brought to account and it is revealed as it really is. God is not mean. He is dangerous, but not mean. And as C.S. Lewis writes of Aslan, that character that represents God in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you remember, he describes Aslan not as safe, but as good. God is not safe, but He is good, and He is fair, and He's just. And His holiness burns very bright. And when you come into the presence of God, everything is revealed just as it is. And then it will all be evaluated. And so, you're not going to hide in front of God. You can hide on Facebook. You cannot hide in front of God and so the day of judgment is simply a day when everything is evaluated as it really is and so jesus speaks a lot about this day day of judgment and there are other passages in the new testament so let's just take a little tour through the new testament and consider how this day of judgment is talked about i think if you'll come with me you'll hear That it is an evaluation of the way things are, not a demonstration of how mean God is. Take a look. Let's take Jesus now, Matthew 12, 36 through 37. But he says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, or by your words you will be condemned. It will be up to you in some way. Let's take chapter 25, verse 31 through 33, Jesus here describing a scene using uh, different pictures, a different image. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. It represents the righteous and the wicked. A goat is a goat and a sheep is a sheep. It is simply an evaluation of the way things are. And Jesus says that will be what happens in the day of judgment. Now, let's take the Apostle Paul who makes it very clear. 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us must receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, an evaluation of the way things are. Now take a look now, 2 Peter. Let's just take the Apostle Peter. I want you to see that this theme runs throughout the different portions of the New Testament. 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment, on a day when everything is brought to account. And then, even in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says in chapter 9, verse 27, writes, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. A judgment is coming, and you will not hide in the judgment. One thing that will be revealed in the judgment is who you are. I'm not saying what all you have done, but who you have become. That will be very clear. In the judgment. And what we're saying in Psalm 1 is that there really are two ways, two options, two destinies. There's a destiny of destruction. There, The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Let's consider, let's consider that. That would be the fact that in that day, that destiny of destruction, there is a way of life that is separated from the source of God, from his way of life. Psalm 1 would describe that way as a life that is like shaft that the wind blows away. Other parts of the written word of God would describe that as a withered life. We may even describe it as a hollow life, an empty life, and a life that's not going to work, a life that's got a lot of trouble in and outside of it, a life that is broken and is dry. And the only logical place that life ends is in destruction. If you don't feed a flower, it withers. It's just the way things are in our world. And your soul works the very same way. Now, I would actually say here that when you pull this thread to its logical end, you get a statement like this. In the end, every person who rejects God will get what they want, a life away from God. There's a famous Christian author who says that the fires of heaven burn hotter and brighter than the fire of hell. Think about that. you ever thought about heaven burning? Can you imagine being a withered soul and standing in front of life? Well, that can, get, that can get real hot. You ever been in front of someone? You ever stood in front of someone? You ever been with somebody that is really a good person? Like so good, they make you sick, right? And you know, you're trying to evaluate. Is that because they're so fake or is it really because they're so good? And if they're that good, I don't want to be around them because what? They convict you. You ever been around that kind of person? If you think I'm that person, you have been duped. I've got you. I really do. You get the point? God will give give people what they want. And it just so happens that many, many people want to live away from God. Dallas Willard has a way of saying this. He said this in an interview with a pastor by the name of John Ortberg. And they're having a conversation, and Willard, answering one of those questions at this conference called Living in Christ's Presence, says this. He said, but I believe that the only people who will not be in heaven are people who don't want to be there. When you think about it, if you don't really like God, you won't want to be in heaven. Now, if heaven is Disneyland, then everyone would want to be there. But it just so happens that heaven is saturated with the love and holiness of God. And many people in our world do not want his presence. And God will give them what they want. He will let them have their way. It just so happens that way is called hell, a life away from God. Now, in the Peter passage we read, Peter describes that day that uh, is, is going to be punishment is being held for the wicked, but if we take verse 9 and add verse 10, we get an extra description of the kind of people they are that are waiting for this punishment. It's not, again, a demonstration of God being mean. It's giving them what they want. Take a look. We're going to look at verse 9, and then we're going to add verse 10. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous from punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true for those who what, follow the corrupt desire of the flesh, and despise authority. These are people who are eaten up with their appetites, their lusts, their anger, their bitterness. They are consumed with revenge. They're consumed with getting the next high, whatever that high might be. They're consumed with their reputation and their ambition. And all they can think about is themselves. And by the way, they despise authority. That means they don't want anyone above them. This is a condition we've all dealt with. We would love to be our own little gods and goddesses without anyone holding us accountable. This starts very early in life. With a three-year-old at this point, I'm telling you, this started like two and a half years ago, okay? (laughs) Like I'm talking crying in the crib, knowing we'd come to the rescue, the kind of crying that you get what you want when you want it, that kind of cry. I'm not calling my six month old evil. I'm just saying something was going on. It wasn't good. You track in with where i'm where I'm going here. These are the kind of people that do not want authority over them. And in the end, God will give them what they want. It just so happens that when you try to live, as your own God or goddess, that is a life described as hell. One thing I often say to people, one thing I often say to people, is the reason I am a Christian is not necessarily because I have been convinced of every rational argument that has ever been made for Jesus. It's because I found living as my own God about broke me. Run, run a non-belief, uh, nah, that, 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 that didn't work. That was not written in my manuscript, a non-belief life. That is not a word or a phrase. To run to its conclusion, a life lived away from God, and you will find it does not work, practically. And it just so happens it will end in a destiny of destruction. God will let that run its course, and it will run its course forever, away from the source of life, God himself. We'll call that hell. Now, we don't want to end on a downer here. So let's go with our destiny of life. Because the Lord will watch over this way. There is an assembly of the righteous. Now, just to make note, you can't be in the assembly of the righteous on your own. You just can't do that. Your heart is too wicked to end up in the assembly of the righteous on your own power. That's why Jesus came to pay the penalty of that sin, to create and cut a new way for humans to live so they may be blessed with eternal life. He did that through the death on the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension, where he's now seated on his throne. That is the way to the assembly of the righteous. And in the assembly of the righteous, you have a destiny for life, the good life. Now, there are a few things we want to see there. We're going to return to that Hebrews passage. Because that Hebrews 9, 27 isn't the whole story of the destiny of life. Here's what the Hebrew writer continues to say. Just as the people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. And who's it coming to? Those who are waiting for him. Those who have the long view. Those who actually want to be with him. You can be with God forever if you want to be. That's a wonderful promise coming out of these scriptures. The Apostle Paul also took the long view. And we're going to end with this, this This. Summary passage here. We're going to end our study of Psalm 1 right here uh, today with this summary passage from the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote. And in that letter, he has this summary passage that pulls together everything we've said up to this point. And he uses the language of citizenship to get their eyes beyond the horizon, to say something about the long view. Take a look. Here's what he says. Philippians three eighteen through 21 For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. That's a wonderful promise. It's a wonderful vision. You get that vision by taking the long view. So let's take all of that and make some application. What in the world does this have to say for your life? What does it have to do with where you find yourself In Ordinary life. Here's what here's a couple questions. I want us to ask. Are you nearsighted or farsighted? If you start answering that By referring to the prescription of your glasses you have missed the point (laughs) of the message Or you fell asleep, and you just came back (laughs) And you're wondering why is the preacher talking about? (laughs) eyesight Are you nearsighted or farsighted? Are you looking far enough into the future to see your destiny? Some of us are so concerned with today, tomorrow, maybe next week, that you miss the fact that what you are doing today is shaping a destiny for your life. When, When I take a fourth helping of food, Or regularly snack with no self control. I am creating the kind of character that wants to do what I want, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. I am feeding, I am feeding the tendency to despise authority. I don't know what you might be doing in your life that would be shaping your destiny. But depending on where, you're, where you are looking will shape your destiny. What you do today when you go home and your kid frustrates you, what, how you respond will be shaping your destiny because it will be shaping your character and you will take your character with you into the day of judgment. So really consider, are you looking far enough into the future to see your destiny? Let me pull this down to a next step that you can do today, something you can do today. Pick one behavior you do that is training you to take the long view and then keep it up. I don't know, there might be something, you you may be the kind of person that gives an encouraging word to someone suffering and you do it every week. You're writing cards, you're making phone calls, or you simply pray for those in need and you do it daily. You keep doing that. Because that's training your eyes to look beyond the horizon. You keep doing that. It's turning you into the kind of person that wants to be with God. Now, the second one, not so easy. Pick one behavior you do that is training you to be short-sighted, and then stop that. And I don't know what that behavior is for you. I know for for me, it's uncontrolled snacking. You think I'm joking? I eat whenever I want. That's not a good thing, and I don't mean just for my body. I can't turn off that impulse when I get mad at one of my kids, right? If I'm always getting what I want and then one of my kids frustrates me, out comes a cutting word. Why stop a cutting word when I can have anything I want in the refrigerator? Do you see how this plays out? So I don't know what you are doing, what behavior you're forming, that's training you, that's training you to be short-sighted. You stop that. Because in the end, it's training your soul in the direction to live away from God. And then this third one gets a little awkward. Tell someone you trust what you picked for each. Really. I didn't tell you my first one. I told you my second one. So I'm halfway to accomplishing the next step. I'm ahead of you. (laughs) And if you like racing... There's a race on Saturday, upcoming, on the 4th, where you can raise money for water. Do you like that plug? I did that for you. (laughs) This is a next step that involves community. I am convinced that you and I cannot become the kind of people who want to live with God, taking on the character of Christ in isolation. So you can do those first two things inside your head. But if you don't bring another trusted person into your world, you'll have a very hard time living that out. So whoever that trusted person is today, tell them what one behavior you're doing that's training you in both directions. And either keep doing it or stop doing it. But allow someone in your life to walk with you. You see, verse 6 ends by saying, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. In the end, It just won't be the person you trust that will help you become the kind of person that takes the long view. Creating and developing a destiny by the grace of God for life, it will be God himself that will be helping you become the kind of person who wants and will live with him forever. God will help you with that. And that is really good news. That God doesn't just love you, He likes you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it has power to change us from the inside out. We thank You that through Your Word we can be planted and abide with Jesus. I pray that we would become the kind of people that take the long view. I pray that you would give us eyes to see our destiny and that we would trust in the grace of Jesus to work inside of our everyday lives to become the kind of people who want to be with you forever and ever. We're going to need your help with that. And if there is anyone who is running away from your son, Jesus, give them eyes to see the destiny of that path. And may they turn to joy and life. And we're going to ask that all under your Son, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Together we sing.